0: everyone welcome back to our podcast. So for today we have a couple of interesting discussion topics as well as show reviews and updates that we wanted to go through. So the first is Bibi and I recently got access to the Clubhouse app (laughs) which um, you know we have some early thoughts on having been on it for about two days respectively. Then we wanted to talk about the trilogy on Netflix to all the boys which both of us just started and pretty much binged through with the um, release of the third and final movie and then Bibi and i will discuss some updates just regarding the chris harrison situation on the bachelor because i think that's a pretty big development for the show and it's pretty interesting because it stirs a lot of potential controversy and there's you know i've heard a lot of reactions to it so i I, you know just wanted to give our own and then lastly we'll touch on mr queen which i finished this past week Uh, i wasn't super happy with the ending just as a preview so we will discuss that all right so let's first Start with the topic of Clubhouse. Uh, so to set some context, I had requested the access to it by just like signing up one day because I saw that one of the Bachelor contestants was going to be on there, giving a sort of real reactions and real juicy <laughs> insights on the episode. I didn't get it that day, unfortunately, so I missed that. But I guess apparently if you sign up and one of your friends who's already on the app has your number in their phone and they've synced up their contacts they're able to let you in through the side door so that's actually how i got in and that's how i let bb in right after because she went in and downloaded the app so we've been on it since wednesday it's now friday uh so yeah maybe bb why don't you talk about your experience with the app so far
1: Yeah, sure. So I will say I'm not an early adopter to this app. I probably heard about it. You know, I've seen it on people's Instagram accounts and whatnot, but I really didn't think much about it. And of course, a few weeks ago, you've had you had Elon Musk on there talking. So that also created, I think, some buzz around it. But yes, Jenna, you were the person who said you should try out Clubhouse. And I went ahead and downloaded the app. Uh, It's been interesting. I think, um, I've had two real interactions with it. The first one was, I thought it was really interesting how they just kind of ad hoc, Half things happen. So like what happened was like, you know, I joined two days ago and around 6 p.m. I got this like weird notification about new members orientation and I just clicked onto it and they were giving an orientation to everyone that joined that day apparently. And it was interesting because like I think I had no idea how this thing worked. So it was useful for me and that I understood this was supposed to be used as kind of a, um, almost like a different TV Plus podcasts, if that makes sense, like the way I understood it, you can go drop in on on any programming that you're interested in and leave at any time. And all you have to do is just listen if you're interested. So I thought that was really cool. And I thought it was interesting how they made the point about how this is meant to be super low key and not burdensome in terms of societal norms, right? Like you can Irish anytime you can drop in on anything. And it's a very open sort of fluid kind of platform. So I thought that was cool. So heeding that advice, I ended up joining a few discussions last night. The first one was on um, Crypto 101, which was really interesting because it was actually part of the culture club, which really kind of focused on how crypto is transforming Black America, for instance. Um, and I thought that was super interesting in terms of the empowerment behind the rally there. And then the second one I listened to was the Postmates CEO, uh, who's no longer, I think, at the company, talking about being acquired by Uber. So I thought that was also really interesting. But- yeah. You know, I think um, the one critique I would have, I think is, I think with any programming, right, like your content is dependent on not only who you have as a speaker, but also on the moderators. So I think depending on sort of how prepared or how much thought they put into sort of the questions for the speakers, you could have a very different discussion. So I think that was kind of one of my takeaways, given sort of the short interaction or experience I've had on Clubhouse. What did you think? I think you were on some of those as well, Janet.
0: Yeah, I was really excited when I first got it because it is such an interesting premise and I do like that there's always different topics and discussions going on. You know, I think it fulfills a need for people who are big extroverts or just like want to talk to people live. I think it definitely fulfills that in a way that podcasts and like recorded media can't do, right? Because you're in a forum, you know, you know everything's happening at the same time and like you can always raise your hand in most rooms and like participate and, you know, contribute a viewpoint. So um, I think for people who are outgoing and social, I think this is a really good app. And that's why I think you're getting a lot of these sort of celeb hosts like Elon, like mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg, like Oprah, because it's it's like people who are, you know, we're all in the pandemic, we're all kind of locked down and, uh, you know, people really don't have much else to do probably in their evenings. I have noticed, for instance, I started following Mark Andreessen. He is in rooms like literally all night. I don't understand what he, I guess, I, I don't know if he's still working given the amount of wealth he must have by at this point. but. <laughs> At any rate, he is literally in a different room as like a host or moderator uh, the entire night, every night, so it seems. So, you know, and I've noticed that for quite a few of these sort of bigger name folks. So they're like always sort of hanging around and I find that to be really interesting. And so I think it caters to sort of that elite audience and in a way that other apps and mediums don't really do, certainly in a live setting. And I have sort of a split view on it. I think that it's nice that you get these sort of unrecorded and Theoretically honest, although the audience is big enough to where I think people are aware that you could have press on there. Like I was in a bachelor room for two nights actually, but I joined the one last night, and somebody, one of the moderators who was a former bachelor contestant, actually said, Oh, someone senior at ABC is like in this room. So everyone, like, be careful what you're gonna say. (laughs) So I I thought that was the shortcoming is like you know, you can't really get the honesty and on you know, open conversations that this sort of app is pitching Mm -hmm. at you. I think people are still very careful about what they say but that's it it's obviously much better than if say you're knowing you're going to go on tv and you're going to be recorded and people are going to watch replays of the event and there's also the fomo aspect that this app really taps into because i found myself just like looking up rooms simply because i didn't want to miss out if you know there was something interesting discussion going on that i wouldn't be able to join later or you know if i forgot to join something so i, I liked it in terms of the stuff that i have been listening to so as i mentioned i started following a bunch of different groups i have enjoyed the Bachelor ones more to be honest because I think this app for me is much more satisfying when there's a social kind of fun and frivolous element to it and the Bachelor discussions have been nice because they've been in rooms of no more than 150 people which is actually pretty manageable because they will call people on the stage and people will like pour out their questions you know with the former contestants and like sometimes profess like oh hey I'm interested in you can I DM you so it's kind of entertaining to watch from like you know it's a a way for I guess normal people quote unquote like non-influencers to get in touch with these sort of big high profile folks in a very low key setting and you know they've been rejected but it's fine because again there's no record of this nobody's really keeping tabs i really like those i joined several of the crypto discussions i feel like there's a crypto discussion literally every hour and multiple per hour Mm -hmm. i think it's a very hot topic right now in our economy as the price of bitcoin continues to go up so i've been on a bunch of those and they're they're useful i think the learning to be honest i don't think it's like an efficient use of your time i think if you really want to learn about a topic, yeah, you should download a podcast and, you know, get something edited because otherwise you're just listening to random people ramble sometimes. And same with the other point of how there's the same people recurring. I find that's true with a lot of these topical discussions, like the Bitcoin discussion always features this guy named Terrence Wang. Like he's a moderator for every single discussion. So you're kind of just hearing from him over and over and over. And I'm sure he's very knowledgeable, but you know, I I don't know. It gets a little old after a while. So yeah, so I think those were my general thoughts. Oh, the one thing is Two nights ago, there was a huge technical glitch. So I think I think this is probably why they kept the invites so limited to begin with, because it just like wouldn't let people in the room. And then the room I was in was having that issue and multiple people were complaining about it. And I couldn't get in for like 20 minutes and I couldn't join like chats I wanted to. So hopefully that will be sorted out as they scale. But I think, you know, a lot of people, It's it's been garnering popularity lately, I think, because there's been a lot of public discussions and podcasts, etc., which is, you know, how I heard about this app and got really interested in it as like more people get on.
1: Yeah. I do wonder, to your point about the limitations of the technology platform in addition to sort of just the exclusive nature currently of it, I I do wonder how it's going to be when it scales, right? Because to your point, I I see why this could occupy a certain white space in terms of what people are looking for in the context of social media or media or any sort of consumption of information uh, i i just wonder like what the end cases like what is the niche they're trying to occupy in terms of what they bring to the table because to me the hardest thing is also like i mean i understand this is cool like if you want to just like be in the information flow all the time but like i wonder like what with everyone being less time rich right as covid kind of runs its course you know, who's going to want to just have this on (laughs) and listen to whatever unscripted kind of content that's not necessarily helpful or useful. You know, you might be picking up a few little nuggets here and there. But to your point, some of these things are very repetitive and whatnot. So I was curious to see what you thought about that.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a great, like, educational tool, per se. I mean, I think it'll be nice and since that you'll occasionally get these CEO talks, like I was on the Postmates one as well. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be more of an entertainment app. Mm-hmm. Entertainment slash social gathering, I guess I should say. So yesterday, also, I joined this, you know, there's been a lot of violence against Asians. Yeah. There were several of those chats going on yesterday. And I joined one and they were rallying people, and, you know, having people share their stories, you know, on stage, quote unquote. And that was actually, a, I found, really nice nice because you can't really do that you know yeah. immediately and with so many people on any other platform like Twitter uh, maybe but Twitter's a shit show as we know so it, and it's not I think there's something really nice about the audio component mm-hmm. and similar to what we read about you know it, it's good they didn't do video because obviously like nobody wants to be in video calls more than they should as we know but also like as I think I mentioned like a TED study they said that you know audio actually conveys emotion much better and I think that's what you really get in addition or something that Twitter and Instagram and these sort of printed Things don't really
1: convey. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Yeah, and I think maybe just it's part of a maturity curve, right? Like, you know, how like influencers exploded, and now there's more curated content and whatnot. So maybe like as Clubhouse matures, there's going to be more effort that goes into certain helpful content. Like yesterday's Postmates talk, I thought was really helpful, but I did think the moderators were not great at guiding. The CEO at the use of time, right? Like he likes to go on these tangents, which are obviously great because he's an awesome person. But like, I felt there was a lot of like, wow, you're cool, but like not a lot of, hey, tell us something that actually like would teach people about, you know, who you are or what you've done, you know? So I thought that was kind of a miss Mm -hmm. from that perspective.
0: Yeah, actually, uh, people who like want to address controversy too have been taking to Clubhouse as like a way to confront those issues. Like the article about the way CEO who left, right, because mm-hmm. he tweeted actually right after like, oh, join me on Clubhouse tonight as you know, because there's been such a strong reaction to this blog post that I wrote. So I think that's actually also a secondary good way that this app will be used longer term is because it, you know, normally when a CEO talks out or anybody of public interest, they have their scripted PR line. Yeah. And they go in, and it's a whole dolled up affair. And this allows people to kind of just, hey, I, you know, I realize this is getting a bad reaction, so I want to hear from people. And I, or I, you know, I didn't join that, but I felt like that's kind of a secondary like yeah. benefit of this app. But is there advertising?
1: Did you see advertising? No, but you know, the, I, I think that this is where it's like, is it content? Is it product placement advertising? You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of content. It's almost like you don't really know if there's there's room for sponsorship to go in there, right? When you start rooms and doing, mm-hmm. so I, I mean maybe it's organic right now, but I could see that being a channel for the future.
0: Yeah, like maybe PNG pays them and they can have like a proctor sponsored room mm-hmm. where they talk about like new product releases or something mm-hmm. <laughs> with like an influencer.
1: Or, yeah. yeah, it's like really capitalizing on the influencer or famous people sort of economy where somebody who's famous could. Yeah, you know, plug some of the (laughs) products that are useful or whatever and have it come across in a very organic way. So that that was probably an interesting channel.
0: Yeah. Dude, there's so many influencers. I feel like being on this app made me realize that because it's like everywhere you go, there's like people with thousands of followers. It's like a commodity now, I guess, to have like a huge number of followers. (laughs) Yeah, wasn't it? Like just on any
1: app. Like the information, did I send you that article about how we're now in the influencer economy where we pay for people's brand equity, not just brand brand equity. Case in Mm -hmm. point, Elon Musk and Tesla's stock price. (laughs) So (laughs) I thought that was really interesting.
0: (laughs) I know. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't see that. But that's a good way to uh, it's a great point. Yeah. Well, I guess we will have to see how this app continues to grow. Enjoy it. I think the novelty's starting to wear off for me, so I'm not like as inclined to like just sit there. You know, I'm I'm back to my podcasts and audiobooks <laughs> and other things for when I want to listen to something. But yeah, I mean, if someone famous came on, I would certainly you know sign up or some interesting topic. It's just that uh, you do have to start wading through a lot of that trash, and I'm not sure the current following system is all that curated because you know it's like you can follow all these random groups, and some of their stuff's good. Most of it's kind of junky or repetitive. So
1: yeah, we'll see. That's true. I agree. I think it's, it's kind of like Twitter in that sense, like it's unfiltered in so many ways. And I think ultimately, what it comes down to is aside from things that are really obvious, right? Like, oh, you know, this um, Waze CEO who's left Google or like Mark Zuckerberg is coming to talk. There's very little to help you differentiate the signal between the noise. And I think that will be important for people. You know, I think that's why Instagram is so successful, you know, because you're not asking. Instagram is only really giving you videos and short form content, right? But like, you're still given sort of things that are relevant to you. You know, TikTok doesn't really follow that. They follow an AI algorithm to to help feed you things that you might be interested in. And that AI gets better as you scroll through it. I, I don't know if there's an AI component to what they feed you here on Clubhouse, but what you're asking for is not a five second judgment on a 15 second video. You're asking for 20 minute time commitment on content or an episode that might or might not relate to the person. So I think the curation of that will be key to whether or not they can continue to have the kind of traction they have. Mm-hmm. And I think influencers
0: will be like very pivotal in shaping that because it's very much based on who you follow yeah, right now. That's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I guess the influencer economy is getting stronger and stronger
1: every yeah. day. <laughs> Janet, it's not too late to switch careers. <laughs>
0: oh my gosh oh geez Uh, it's like the bachelor contestant who um in this week's episode she like quit her job at presumably facebook people aren't really sure but she was like a a communications manager at like a big tech social media firm Uh, and most likely to become an influencer although she turned it into like oh i quit my job for you because you know to the bachelor like oh i really see a future with you like it's not just (laughs) that's
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's so interesting oh my gosh yeah yeah. Speaking of more popular yeah. culture, she we shift gears. She's something more lighthearted than. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So over the last weekend, is it last weekend? Over the long weekend, I don't even remember what day it is anymore. <laughs> over President's Day weekend, which also happened to overlap with, I mean, included Valentine's Day and Lunar New Year. So a very festive weekend indeed. Uh, I watched the third and final installment of Two Other Boys, and this one was Two Always and Forever. Um, Actually, you know... <laughs> This is a little embarrassing, because I'm a grown person. But I've actually watched all of these movies, and I basically have watched them always within, like, a month or two of them coming out. That's not to say that, like, I'm not typically... So, full disclosure, as much as I like Korean dramas and stuff, like, I'm not typically a huge fan of, like, romantic comedies. Um I'm just not that person. And To All Boys, obviously, is a series... That's based on a very popular set of books. That's very coming of age, but ultimately, like, obviously also about her romance with, you know, this woman, Laura Jean and Peter, and all three installments. So I really enjoy the series first because it really piqued my interest because it was filmed at my high school. So when I went to high school, we had live sets of TV camera. What am I saying? We we had (laughs) live... (laughs) How would you describe people who film at your school, what do you call those people? Production crews? Yeah, we have production crews there uh, who filmed at my school for other shows while we were in school was wow. session. Yeah. Well, Vancouver, I think over the last two decades has become like the northern Hollywood because it just really offers a lot in terms of what, you know, an urban setting is or a suburban setting is or a nature kind of setting in British Columbia. So, you know, ultimately. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Was the vampire diaries filmed at your school, by the way? Because I know they shot in
0: somewhere in Canada.
1: I don't know about vampire diaries, but I know Twilight was filmed in British Columbia, for instance. Yeah. And like Smallville, I think, was also filmed in Vancouver, although
0: that's a much older show.
1: The one that was filming while I was in school was this show that never took off. It's called Life As We Know It with Kelly Osborne. Oh, wow and she like she literally walks by That's us cool. every morning and she'll say hi to all the students she'll like say good morning to like me you know like me like I- i'm nobody and she said hi to me <laughs>
0: interesting That's so cool! That oh my god, I'm so jealous. So you guys must have had a pretty nice looking high school <laughs> since all these crews were coming in.
1: I don't know. I about mean, it looks nice. good. I guess we saw it. <laughs> I think it's very um, <laughs> probably is very friendly to film crews. I mean, in general. So Seth rogan went to my high school. I think I told you that before. Oh wow! Yeah, so my okay. school, like for a high school, was known for theater and a lot of those programmings and we did inspire a lot of people who ended up going into it. So like Seth. Bogans production company is called Point Grey and that's, oh wow, I'm like really giving out a lot of information. <laughs> And that's the name of my high school. <laughs> yeah, so the name of my high school is his production company name. So there's some deep-rooted sort of, I think, just fascination with theater and drama. And we had a very strong theater program as well. So so I don't know if it's just like we're okay. more willing to do it compared to the other schools. In
0: here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I yeah. wonder if they pay your school. They must, right? The yeah, crews. So they have to. It Must be like a good side income. That's great. <laughs> yeah and then they're able to therefore give you nicer facilities because they have to you know make it look good for the camera <laughs> a good win-win
1: i hope so but you saw the movie i don't think the facilities were any nicer than what you know i mean I, I recently learned from my husband who went to school in the u.s that any high school in the u.s or at least in california has a faux size olympic size pool I, I like didn't know that Mm.
0: Oh. oh I guess I oh, did my high school have one I guess so I mean I don't know if, no no it definitely wasn't Olympic sized my school was pretty poorly funded though to be fair because you know how the, the local school property tax uh, messed up way of supporting education here works um, so my, I went to high school in a pretty poor so to speak part of a suburban area and yeah it definitely was not very nice so your school definitely by comparison looked <laughs> a lot nicer um, <laughs> they, yeah and we did not have an Olympic sized swimming pool I think we had the equivalent of a quarter
1: of an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Yeah. Yeah, Interesting. Okay, so maybe he just, like, (laughs) he's completely in his own bubble, but, like, I was looking at some of the schools around where we work, and, you know, they have Olympic-sized swimming pools, they have, like, eight tennis courts, and they have a football field, and have all these other things. I'm like, these schools look ridiculous. Yeah, but you work in like a, but you're in Silicon Valley, which I
0: think the schools are top 5% right. probably of the country based on property tax, you know? that.
1: And then he basically, and I'm a Canadian, like he basically told me that's how schools are supposed to look like in the United States. So I think it's on him. Um, no, not true.
0: <laughs> Definitely not true. <laughs> I mean, no.
1: (laughs) Anyway, I digress. But the point is, like, that piqued my interest because, you know, obviously, I loved looking at anything that, I mean. Coming from Canada, you don't get to see anything from Canada very often, so it it was really nice to to have that. And on top of that, I just kind of really fell in love with the story, right? Like as as coming of age as it is, I think honestly, like I think I was saying this to my other friends, it's really meant for people who are younger, right? Like especially like younger women who are in middle school, maybe. It's a really good story because ultimately, I think it tugs on the heartstrings. It's very real. It's unpretentious, and even though it's very extra, (laughs) especially the first movie, I think you learn a lot about. Mm -hmm her growth, And there's some maturity that comes up with that. So I I really enjoyed the series, even if it's not really super relatable to me and how I feel about boys in general. (laughs) I I really thought it was a good, Mm. it's a good way to pass the time, you know, it's not something that's going to give you like life lessons or whatnot. But it was very, very nice and pleasant to watch in my point of view. What did you think?
0: Yeah, I watched it over President's Day weekend. So wait, did you follow all the movie releases live? Mm -hmm. So like you watched it right when the movies came Mm -hmm. out? i did i see okay i started it basically on president's day weekend with the first movie Like put it on my list at some point, but then I watched like the first five minutes of the first movie and was like very underwhelmed. I remember like a year ago. And then obviously with the sequel coming out, I was curious about it. And um, yeah, it did look cute and it it was cute. So I'm midway through the third movie now. I do say it gets better. It gets mm-hmm. much more mature, as you said. Like the characters actually do feel like they're growing up. So mm-hmm. I, I do really like that aspect of it. It seems a realistic portrayal of you know getting through your high school years and kind of all the micro-stresses that you endure in that time period across, you know, not just your love, but also your school, your whatever, um, you know, life events. Um, I I think the first movie was by far the weakest um, of the trilogy from what I've seen so far. It was very, very sort of like wannabe Korean drama, but like worse acting and worse story. (laughs) Like I feel like the author, because she's of course Korean. Was inspired by all the K drama contract romances that were like a trend literally two oh, decades yeah, that's so ago, true. you know, with My Name is Kim Samsoon and stuff. Yeah, it, it felt very like reminiscent of that era. And I think the book was written probably 10 years ago, so it's not like per se a modern book, but it was still, yeah, it felt copied and pasted from mm-hmm. some of those elements, you know, when they draft up the little contract and then they like have all these rules and then it's like, oh, of course she's gonna like, you know, they're all gonna get together at the end. And uh, it was very cliche. So I, I couldn't quite quite
1: get into tolerate it. that part yeah, of it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I get I, that. It,
0: yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, but I, I liked it. I also felt like the acting was not great. I think mm. it gets better as you go along. But the first movie, again, I think it always takes actors time to warm up into their roles. And I think in the first movie, it was very clear that none of them really were feeling their roles. So it came off very cringy and cheesy. Mm-hmm. It's like Crazy Rich Asians. It was like the exact same feeling I mm-hmm. had while watching Crazy Rich Asians, which is like, okay, these people are not fully in sync with their characters. There's just something very fake about the way they're kind of saying their lines. The dialogue is not good. It's very, very, you know, like could have been written by, you know, a 10 year old type of um, level of wittiness or and lack of wittiness so yeah I didn't like that and I thought the actors it's relatively well casted I like that obviously it features a Asian half Asian family. Mm-hmm. But I think that you know, aside from that, the first movie didn't really go into that at all because you know the mom is dead mm-hmm. by the point in which, and you never really learn, by the way. At least I haven't learned how the mom like died. It's just like okay, she's gone, so you've got her dad and her two sisters, and that's the setting. And there's no other piece of like cultural context, or you know, you know they're Korean, but that's it's kind of just mentioned through like him drinking like one of those yakko yogurt drinks in the first oh, yeah, movie, that's true. being like, oh, this tastes good. Remember that so oh, that was oh, so oh, cringy. It's like, super so cringy. Super cringy. So the whole thing felt like this sort of tokenism of being Asian and just like a very sort of whitewashed representation. Mm-hmm. That said, I am now in the third movie and I love that they actually featured Sol in the third movie. Mm. I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, they've clearly grown their budget, which probably helps. And then um, I thought the second movie, actually, I- I've quite enjoyed it. Mm. I wouldn't say it's like, you know, my top movie, but I really liked it a lot better because, again, I felt like the actors were all more settled in their roles. Yeah. You heard a lot more about her cultural background. they mentioned the concept of Jung, which has been like very popular around, you know, Korean brands are sort of promoting it, you know, the connection to people that you can never break. Like, I thought that was a nice touch. And then I also thought the acting was, especially by that second guy, the second male lead, I guess. Oh, John Ambrose. Josh Ambrose. John Ambrose. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I really liked him. um, And I looked him up, and he is a Broadway actor. And so we've talked about how Broadway actors, like, you can just tell by Mm -hmm. their charisma by their acting quality, you could definitely tell with him because he's been in Hamilton. He's been, he was the lead in Dear Evan Hansen, like literally, I think right before they closed production. So oh, that's wow. kind of unfortunate, but he brought such like realism to the role. Yes. Like I really actually believed him when he would work with her and he made her seem better as a result yeah. versus like her scenes where Peter are so flat yeah. because both of them are just like pretty terrible actors. And so when they're together, it's like, okay, they're both good looking, you, you know, they have <laughs> decent chemistry, okay, but they don't bring anything out of each other. So I I enjoyed that and I was obviously sad but I knew he wouldn't be getting her you know in the second movie um but he made it generally much better
1: I agree yeah no thank you for reminding me of how the first two movies I I 100% agree with you I thought the the first one was certainly the weakest I did think also just like to your point about growth I know Noah Centeno is like super famous now and like everyone wants him like apparently he's tapped to do the GameStop movie which like again like what are you going to make a movie about? <laughs> like, is he going to be that Reddit user? Wait, who is this? this is Peter, the actor that played Peter.
0: Oh, the Peter guy, Noah, right? Yeah. It's like Noah since. Cent- okay, yeah, yeah, I got gotcha. you. So
1: I don't really get it, but like, the reality is, like, to your point about growth, I, I think she grew a lot from the first movie as an actress, right? Like, she was probably mm-hmm. a little uncomfortable in her role and she didn't settle into it but like I think by the third movie she was doing all of the emotional heavy lifting of what's going on in her world as she decides like I mean you know how how does she decide to like go to NYU rather than Berkeley and how she wanted to sort of like figure mm-hmm. out her own life for herself and like really just like not just follow someone you know and I that was really interesting I, I thought without sort of her intricate like some of the intricate nuances in what she was going through in the third movie the kind of schools aside <laughs> given the sort of cultural moment that's not necessarily appropriate for it I, I thought she really helped lift it up and to your point I think she learned a lot as she kind of grew up in, as Lara Jean in the movies whereas I think he kind of just really leaned back into how handsome he is and continued to be that same person <laughs> <laughs> in all three movies uh, which yes cool it probably works for some people
0: yeah he's such a jock like i actually don't i think it's partly it's like bad acting but then it's also like he is a really badly written character mm-hmm. he's incredibly flat so like flat. all you know of him is he is a jock and he is popular and everybody you know likes him and I think that's meant to be his appeal because who doesn't want to date the popular guy in school but it starts showing its faults um, once you start trying to dive into deeper topics and again that's why I like John Ambrose because even though he had much more limited screen time than Peter he really stood out Mm -hmm. both in terms of his character and his acting so it's like you know you you just like felt for him there's something about him where it's like okay he stuttered when he was a kid he had that really cute childhood you know (laughs) sequence with the toast and devil dig mm-hmm. with her and he just felt a lot more human and like fully fleshed mm-hmm. whereas like peter's always just kind of meant to be the cool and he likes gene, and so therefore you know we support that because like he's the main lead and like you know who doesn't want to be with peter
1: Mm. Yeah, so as you finish the third movie, I think you'll see that they try to write him to be a more multi-dimensional person. Okay. Yeah, which is nice. I think, unfortunately, and I think you bring up a good point, like, some of that, it does remind me a lot of a main Korean drama lead in terms of, like, that storyline. <laughs> so, like, I don't know if you care about spoilers. No, no Okay, so basically what happened is, like, they basically have him in the seat where, like, you know, how he grew up with his mom and his dad wasn't really in the picture. So they, like, developed that and basically kind of brought his dad into the picture and like movie where he like is really proud of him and wanted to sort of show him how much he cared and how proud he is of the fact that Peter got into Sanford and there's a lot of angst he has about that because it wasn't like his success can be attributed to his dad right so why is he trying to take credit for it so there's a lot of that
0: oh I got to the beginnings of that scene yeah when his dad's like texting him to okay yeah I mean that's pretty very Korean drama it's very yeah and a bit predictable so. very predictable
1: <laughs> And then the other element of it, of course, is like, you know, Laura Jean kind of like kind of overlapping on that, right? Like choosing Goody and NYU almost feels like this whole, the whole idea in the third movie is about how like Peter feels like people he loves and cares about don't choose him. And they choose something over him for their own happiness or whatever. And I think it's like him ultimately at the end coming to terms with the fact that people you love can love you very much, but will have to choose things that might not, benefit you directly and I think that was kind of the point and I think you know obviously he elevated that and he, he did what he needed to do for that part and scene however I do think like to your point because he does like he was probably casted for his like fitting the stereotype of a jock right like it felt very superficial mm-hmm. and surface level even if it's a very sort of in depth kind of thing mm-hmm. personally I had a hard time with it because I think it just feels like she was the only person who really grew up <laughs> in the three movie. And Kitty grew up, you know, her, do- yeah, her sister is very cute and did a good mm-hmm. job growing up in the movies as well. So some misses for sure from a character perspective.
0: You know, the other similarity, though, I observed with Korean dramas and this series. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's sponsored by Subway. Oh, did it, you notice the Subway is. scenes? Like, yes. <laughs> it is okay. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, this looks really familiar," and I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's like your typical Subway sponsorship scene, where they're like, you know, in the bright green and yellow wrappers, <laughs> eating a sandwich. And in one of the scenes, when she's eating with her friend, actually in both scenes, she eats with her friend. Um, one under the bleachers, and then once in like that woodworking shop. And then she uh-huh. hands a sandwich to the guy who's about to like hit on her friend. He's like, "This is for you. Here's a Subway sandwich," because <laughs> of course you would do that. <laughs>
1: That is incredible. I love it. <laughs> just like, That's so funny. Oh my God. I know. Freaking Subway. I mean, they... I will say though, when I was in high school, Subway was a popular lunch spot. So <laughs> maybe. Oh, I'll is it like by s- the school?
0: Mm-hmm yeah oh okay, so I guess that at least kind of is realistic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was on brand, I guess that's that's the one thing that we can say, like this was actually on brand for once <laughs> yeah all right any any other thoughts on this? yeah, I guess my parting thought is like I think I think you know it's not. <laughs> It's not life-changing. I think if you're looking for something sweet while well, you're like folding laundry, you're like, yeah, this is a great movie for that reason. I think if you look a lot deeper, it's going to be hard to find what you need to find in this trilogy. So it's just level setting some expectations mm-hmm. here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. <laughs> it's a, it, it's cute. You know, I like the way it's filmed. Yes. I think it's a very pretty movie. I think it's you know, the lighting's good. The colors are very poppy, you mm-hmm. know, in all of the movies. And she looks great, by the way. Um, Lana Condor, who plays yes. the main actress, like she's she's very well styled, especially in I think the later two movies. I think in the first movie, they did a like kind of a meh job with, you know, her clothes and that it just didn't stand out. But I did really like her outfits and stuff as it like went along, I thought, um, you know, and like you said, she really grew into the role, yeah. I think both as an actress in terms of her portrayal, but then also in terms of her, I guess, screen presence mm-hmm. and like the way she came, you know.
1: And that's a great point. They did a great job with the sets in terms of like her room decorations. Like, did you ever notice that? Mm-hmm. Like, it really it completes so a picture, right? Of who she is and, like, fits the theme of what this movie really is about, right? Like, a person who's really young, ultimately, but lives in this, like, a little bit detached from reality kind of fantasy world in her mind. Um, so I thought that was really well done. Oh, yeah. Her room was great. I had, like, serious room envy. <laughs> I was like, I want
0: that room. I want all her furniture and her, like, teal blue, like, bedspread. and <laughs> You know, the wallpaper It was, it was so pretty. It yeah. was, like, very um, appealing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, did you, what do you think of her dad? And, like, the love, thing. I guess it wasn't well-developed.
1: I think he did what he could. I mean, he, his role was really poorly <laughs> developed. I felt bad for him who is the actor is this like patrick wilson he looks so familiar i'm like is he a canadian actor maybe he's a canadian actor you know what i mean i don't
0: think it's patrick wilson okay he looks like patrick wilson or like john travolta you know that kind of face i don't know Henry thomas john corbett oh you know what he was in he was in my big fat greek wedding i'm pretty uh, sure i think that's the same guy got it got it yeah no i've definitely seen him around but um he was fine he was actually one of i thought the weaker actors especially in the first movie (laughs) which is unfortunate given how he's like probably the oldest and most senior oh he played aiden in sex in the city ah and yes he was in my big fat greek wedding okay but yes we probably know him best from aiden
1: oh my god he's aged aiden was not this old
0: (laughs) aiden was a young person i liked aiden um No, you're right. Yeah, I get him. I, th- I actually thought Aiden was played by Patrick Wilson as well. So mm. Same kidding. person. Now you find out. <laughs> a face mix-up.
1: <laughs> John Corbett. you're right. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's not great. He was, like, a little cringy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he had a pretty tough role to play like he's supposed to be this like doctor right who has three dollars that he brought up a gynecologist right three dollars he brought up by himself <laughs> with a wife that's passed away i feel like i don't know how you settle why did into his that. wife die by the way i did think she has some terminal that? terminal chronic disease basically
0: okay yeah yeah it just like wasn't covered at all interesting interesting yeah i liked who they cast as his um love interest so to speak Mm -hmm. like i think she did a better job with her very
1: limited scenes than he did oh yeah Yes. so to speak she did a good job
0: yeah she was pretty natural
1: but her to be fair her character had a stronger personality than his character his character is like designed to be really bland right (laughs) like that american dad yeah <laughs> Her characters is just, like sassy, oh, like na- lady who moved in la- next door, who like has a great personality. So I just think it's easier to like sparkle and shine when you have like an easier mandate in that way
0: yeah anyway that's true i don't know i thought also his romance was like it was fine okay like nothing was really well developed i guess is what i'm saying except like including the main romance <laughs> like it, it just kind of happened you know it's just like oh there it is and there's no no issues from his daughters you know nothing no problems just yeah we're all happy yeah it, it was fine
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep oh, man. yeah yeah all right. Cool.
0: Okay, let's move on to, I guess, these two topics. There are more for you to react to since only I am caught up on, so to speak. First is Mr. Queen. I gave a brief review, I think, the last time we spoke. And I was telling you how I was just watching it because of the homoerotic vibes in the romance of the male <laughs> chef who's in the woman's body. Which, And I realize this is based on a Cre- uh, sorry Chinese webtoon, I believe. Oh, so interesting. Very, you know, another trendy webtoon. By the way, can you believe Mr. Queen is the fifth highest
1: rated show? ever on tvn no tvn makes good shows this shocks me this is really shocking to me it shocks me
0: it's like fine it's entertaining and i do assume that a lot of viewers were like me and just like stayed around because we were so curious how they could possibly make this end so i'll give you my thoughts on the ending so there will be spoilers um essentially they do get together i think i told you that in the last episode you know they start having like feelings for each other and he's fighting them but like he eventually you know kind of caves on them and then That lasts sort of all the way through and then in the final episode what happens is they subtly change history. So they, I didn't read real history, but I think in real history, Chojang is still like not a successful king and basically gets ousted by the Kims as soon as he comes into, um, well, he he died pretty young. I think he died when he was like 32. So um, he had a tragic ending, so to speak. In this series, I think they changed it in the end to where Chojang like started preaching constitutional monarchy mm-hmm. and like um, dem- democracy, like dem- democratic ideas in Cho <laughs> son um, as once he came back to power yeah, and and he defeated the Kims in this sort of final showdown where he and the queen are trying to come back to, you know, regain their rightful place and they hide in like this food cart and then they come out and then they run and then they get shot at, but they're both wearing bulletproof vests because, you know, that's the one thing she learned from the future and brought over to the past. (laughs) And and so they, you know, managed to survive. But right in the moment when he gets shot and she gets shot, the body of the the male chef, his normal body wakes up in the present time. And so he gets pulled back. And so he's yanked back to the present day. And he wakes up from his coma and he immediately tries to run to a bookstore. And that's where he reads about this future that Cho created. And he is, like, happy, and he's smiling. And then we flash back to the past again. And basically, it turns out that the original soul of the woman, so Soyoung, who mm-hmm. um, was the queen, mm-hmm. is still in the body. So she's apparently been co-inhabitating this body with the guy the whole time. And so she's like, oh, the man is gone now. And then she weeps over him, and then she gets, like, kind of almost a miscarriage, but not. So there's some drama around that. And basically, they're both fine in the end. And uh, he, the king, makes a... final comment as he's thinking about the queen and how she's not as like strange anymore and doesn't use her modern words and stuff and he's like is something missing in my life oh I need to go see the queen right now so then they both start running to find each other and they finally meet up by the lake which is kind of where they met and where all of this began and then he hugs her not really realizing that she's obviously changed souls (laughs) because he never realized in the first place that it was a male chef because he never quite believed her even though she told him so he assumes everything's same as usual and they smile and I think we're meant to assume that they're going to happily live together because now he loves her. And and then you get a final scene with Bong Huang, who's a male chef back in the present day where he's just like looking out at modern day Seoul and being like, oh, this experience showed me how it pays off to be like a good person. And, <laughs> and that's <laughs> because, you know, he became because you know he was kind of corrupt in the beginning and that's why he was chased down and apparently you know he changed his own future because now he he became like a righteous man and he actually like became a whistleblower in that situation and so everything's good for him now and he just stares out in the horizon and that that's the end
1: (laughs) what you're kidding oh my god oh my god oh my god (laughs) so i have so many
0: problems with this ending
1: what are your feelings please tell me let's unpack that
0: well, okay, my biggest disappointment is the writers very clearly copped out on the homoerotic elements that drew us into the romance in the first place. And I understand Korea is a relatively conservative society, but that said, I mean, you set this whole thing up, and you know, to where you knew it was like, a gender swap, you know, in spirit type of romance. So to not even have so much as a mention of the feelings that you know, either male persona had for the other that were non-platonic, you know, I think that was a huge cop-out because in the modern day like, we're never shown, like, aside from Bong Huang running over to bookstore and like smiling when he reads the future for Cho Zhang, he does not ever allude to and we never see him like pine about like, you know, oh, I can't be with him anymore. Or, you know, just something that would have felt a little more realistic in that situation because he clearly in the 19 episodes preceding it fell in love with the king like there were multiple scenes of that where he couldn't help himself and just like really actually cared for and loved the king both you know just as a I guess romantically but also like you know just in a deeply personal intimate way that you can't try to cop out on now and just be like oh you know it's it's all good so there was none of that sort of satisfaction in the end Mm -hmm. it didn't close that arc at all and then same thing as like the king he's been basically his, his love interest has been swapped in front of his eyes and he has no idea. You know, that's such a freaking cop-out. Like You can't just fall back in love with the woman just because it's the same body, you know, of the woman, because, like, the personality has changed so drastically. And, you know, they kind of allude to that again, when he's like, oh, something's missing, you Mm -hmm. know, from my life. But again, they never address that. They just show him, like, seemingly happy with her, you know, the original soul at the end. And so I had huge problems with that, because I feel like they just did that out of, like, cowardice of, like, offending their viewership and, like, preaching, like, ideas that I guess wouldn't be kosher in Korean society, but which are, you know, I think also generally... It just shows a very small mindedness and this lack of progressiveness. So I I thought
1: that was a huge fail. That's unfortunate. Yeah, I think it's a little bit like, I wouldn't call it moral hijacking, but like it's just like this idea that like they basically hijacked all the viewers, right? Like, and then like didn't give them (laughs) anything they were expecting to see ultimately, which is, that's not fair. That's not cool. I'm sorry. I feel like I wasted 20
0: hours of my life on this. I literally do. Like, please, nobody watch this because this is just. The worst way you could use. 20 plus hours, because these are, again, like, they're like hour and a can half I ask? Can <laughs> I
1: ask? Like, if you didn't watch the final episode, would you still recommend it?
0: No, I would not.
1: Really? Interesting. Okay. <laughs>
0: the ending is very important to me, though. Hence the new name for our podcast, by the way.
1: <laughs> what is the new name, Janet? Because, like,
0: <laughs> the new name is no perfect ending, and unfortunately, this falls exactly in that <laughs> i I guess we... <laughs> Love it. That's it's very great. fitting. We're launching the new name <laughs> with this. <episode>. Yes,
1: a hundred percent. I agree with you. I, I hear you. And I, I think it's really tough. And I think endings are really important. And in many ways, like, you know, I think it's unfortunate, right? Like in a movie, <laughs> the ending is like a major component of the entire movie. So you wouldn't watch a movie if you knew, you know, you wouldn't recommend a movie based on how it ended. A TV series has the benefit of for it, like completely screws you over in the ending. So like, you're investing a lot mm-hmm. more time on something that might not be what you're looking for. And it, It is frustrating. I hear you. It's really tough.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I I mean, to be fair, it wasn't even just the ending. It's just if I look back on the viewing experience, for me, the other big problems with this show is that there was so much political scheming. of constant in historical shows but this was like particularly bad and normally I don't have the patience to sit through it but I sat through all of it because I just wanted to get to sort of the romance moments Mm. Um, and it really did not pay off basically but there was so much scheming like every hour probably the vast majority of that time like 75% plus of that time is spent kind of going between the different like parties so to speak and like you know the queen dowager's got this issue then the other woman's got this other issue and then the Kim guys like scheme some shit and then it's a lot of that and then the other thing I really didn't like is they didn't do well with her character I felt like she really despite being a male chef from the future she had absolutely no strength in terms of like what she was able to achieve and do like Mm. all she did kind of was sit around and crack jokes with like her lady maids that was the entirety of the 20 episodes (laughs) like her cracking like all these dirty jokes Mm. and like being funny and being like you know kind of obnoxiously loud and but she couldn't do anything for herself at the end of the day like every time she was put in a tough situation she had to be saved it's like in the final you know couple episodes like she has to run away to like find the king and then when she runs into a bad guy even though she's supposed to be this like you know guy who served in the army in the special ops team like she can't do shit for herself like she can't defend herself so she waits to be rescued so like the second lead male actually died like in the process of rescuing her (laughs) basically from this villain It's very upsetting because it's like, I also was watching partly because, you know, I thought this would just be a nice, I mean, you know, you want to see that satisfaction of when people like realize it's the male chef and you'll see what she does to stand out and sort of. Change things up, and you know whatever be a powerful and kind of uh, superhero like force, right? But she doesn't do that at all. Mm. Literally, it's so disappointing from that perspective. Um, and she's also kind of stupid, like the mm-hmm, way mm-hmm. she's written. Like she's very, very clueless to everything. Like she's kind of she's got the full knowledge of history. Keep in mind, like she knows everything that happens, and she doesn't do anything about it. Like, or she she very she does bare minimum, you know, which is like the bulletproof vest. That was like the depth and the ex- full extent of her contribution mm. to like changing history you know because she can't get anything else right and nothing else she does besides cooking um (laughs) is like a real actual impact i mean if you and i were thrown into the past knowing like everything that happened to this particular regime i I don't know you just think you would have a little bit more power or like you would try to influence a little bit more smartly Mm -hmm. you know versus just making
1: dirty jokes and those types (laughs) of
0: like shallow things
1: yeah, I felt like, well, based on what you described, I haven't seen the whole thing. I watched one episode. I just feel like the writers probably struggled with the character, right? It felt like they wanted to make mm-hmm. the character a little bit irreverent. And what they ended up with was someone that's kind of a joke. No offense, but like, you know,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, Totally that's why i don't get the reviews because a lot of people i guess a lot of the viewership at least seems i was reading reddit i think i think this was the night when i stayed up till like 2 a.m reading reddit oh no (laughs) i was on mr queen because i like watched the ending and i was so worked up oh no So um, yeah, and I mean, people were like, oh my god, I loved her character. I loved how funny she was. I loved the acting. And I'm like, no, I don't. It still confuses me because for me, at least as a tenured drama viewer, I thought this was probably the weakest performance by this particular actress. I think she was very over the top the entire time. Mm-hmm. And then I also felt like the, the character was just so many missed opportunities. Like just at the end of the day, a pretty pathetically written character, um,
1: given everything she had kind of going for her. Yeah. No, I mean, well, 20 hours, but you know, you'll learn something about shows that you usually don't like, which is stuff that involves a lot of political scheming. So the next time you see it, <laughs> maybe you won't watch it and invest the time.
0: <laughs> oh my God. I think I, I've definitely learned my lesson. Look, I kind of knew from the first episode, as I'm sure you did, that this was going to be a little bit of like, a, joke. Of a yeah. you know, tough show yeah. <laughs> to take seriously. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, the first episode is pretty bad. Um, it does get better, as I mentioned, but at the end of the day, it kind of remained true to that First episode premise, you know, and that carried through, unfortunately, which is a lot of ridiculousness and a lot of uh, sort of uh, just like no depth to the plot,
1: you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. What does it say about the world that this is ranked number five in terms of viewership?
0: (laughs) No, I think people watched it for the romance.
1: I I, Well, I think,
0: I I, I don't know, they should do a poll because... Mm -hmm. I stuck around because, well, because of the romance and because you're just so curious how they resolve all the loose ends Mm -hmm. with this, like, weird premise. And I will say, in fairness, it was a happy ending, which was actually more than I expected originally, Mm -hmm. and it did resolve for all the side characters really nicely. Like, all the side romances basically got a tidy little Mm wrap-up and, you know, little cute scenes at the end.
1: Just not the main one, the one we came here for. (laughs) We can't give you that, but we'll give you everything else. (laughs) That's the way (laughs) they're negotiating with the viewership. (laughs)
0: Interesting. All the heteronormative
1: romances we will happily give you. Yeah.
0: there was like one bromance but yeah bromance
1: is simple though like i feel like bromance has been around for a really long time in asian television
0: yeah bromance people like like people love it when you know it's like the secretary and the chable male boss sort of mock flirting and having a little bromance with each other yeah it was Mm -hmm. was basically
1: like that Mm -hmm
0: transplanted into here so yeah no i agree that it, it didn't do anything
1: beyond what was like deemed safe mm-hmm. yeah i look forward to the day when K drama could take these risks that you know is very mainstream well, here. itaewon
0: class did i guess so right like because mm. i haven't seen anything else like itaewon class but like you know they clearly there's an audience for shows like that and they're able to make them and i mean One class went pretty far right it featured trans characters featured a black character if however you know for any other show, it's like we have to be super, super like conservative and buttoned up. um mm-hmm. Like we're not willing to take like any risk, you mm-hmm. know, of being perceived as like supporting gays or yeah, you, you know. There's not even a single side romance that's
1: you know of a gay couple. Yeah, that's crazy. That's insane. Mm-hmm. I agree with that.
0: I guess that's it for Mr. Queen. I Thank you. Next to the Chris Harrison situation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like us. Ariana Grande oh, yeah, would say, so, "Thank okay. you next." <laughs>
0: Yes, I agree. On to the next drama and uh, lesson learned on never investing 20 hours in a show that's only like 25% capturing your interest. <laughs> <laughs> so the Chris Harrison thing I think is a little uh, It's more interesting. I guess we'll talk through it quickly since we're at the end of our time. But, well, do you have any familiarity with what he did? No, please go
1: ahead and inform me of the...
0: situation. Yeah, so I've been predicting that this girl named Rachel Kirkano is going to win the entire season if you guys follow my Instagram. I've called it from literally 20 minutes in the first episode so I have to... (laughs) Mm -hmm. So look, she hasn't won yet but I'm feeling increasingly confident that that pick was right. So he was put on an interview with the first female black bachelorette, Rachel Lindsay, on Extra, because she's a, I guess, host on Extra, to talk about controversial pictures that were released of the other Rachel, the one who is rumored to win. Rachel is from Georgia. She's a white woman. And she had photos of her like posing with sorority girl members in like a Southern Belle type of old plantation, Mm. uh, you know, type of party Mm. where they're all dressed up like, you know, the antebellum era. And it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's not. But this happened in 2018. Okay, fine, a few years ago. But he goes on and he basically is asked about the situation, his views, and he goes on kind of this very strong, defense of rachel kirkano to rachel Lindsay, the black former bachelorette and he says hey are we really looking at this correctly you know she was just super young at the time she didn't know any better and are we taking a stance using a 2021 lens or a 2018 lens (laughs) and then he's like you know these days like the woke police quote-unquote woke police like he said this several times like are after us you know if you do anything wrong and you know that's really not fair to her and so okay so this you can watch the full interview online but Rachel Lindsay has since come out And she has on her podcast Higher Learning like talked about her reactions And like why she didn't speak up so anyways it was just Generally pretty unpleasant and so he as a result Of all the backlash had to step down That's it it's like a temporary step down Because he's still an executive producer It's You know he's been hosting the show for context Since season one which was probably 20 Years ago oh my and I actually gosh. watched like season one Yeah <laughs> so you know he looks Pretty good I will say for uh, the 20 year Span if you look at it but I think my Reaction more so like obviously what he did I think, you know, was heard other reactions saying this is kind of his true self emerging, because normally he's he's very media trained because he's been doing this for his entire career. And so anytime he would get asked about like black contestants and why there were no like black leads in the past, he would say things like, well, we need to support the ratings, you know, because we have a whole like production crew and a lot of people's livelihoods depend on this show having good ratings. So he kind of like implied, you know, made some insinuating like subtle, but not enough to get himself in trouble, just like very kind of wouldn't address mm-hmm. the issue directly. And I think that's a whole problem, frankly, with the Bachelor production is that you have people like him and then Mike Fleiss, who's the main producer, who are these white males. And then all of the like ABC executives. I listened to an interview with the VPs at ABC who are like running the show. They're, they're all white men you know there's not like a person of color up there and so that's i mean that's fundamentally the problem that this chris harrison interview illustrated is people in charge of this show the showrunners the ones who can really make an impact are just white men who don't want to change their ways and are trying to cater to a conservative audience that they're afraid will get offended if they like cast too many for instance like black leads in a row or something which is why i think they're going to try to cast like katie turston as a bachelorette who she's a white brunette woman She has a lot of support on Twitter, okay, fine, but I personally was not a fan of her. I thought she was kind of overhyped, frankly, and I think they had a lot of more interesting personalities, but they're not going to do, like, a person of color for the third time in a row, you know, after Bachelorette, Bachelor,
1: and then, you know, this season.
0: Yeah, what do you think of this?
1: I think that's just, I... I think it's unfortunate that given what's transpired over the last year, to have this interview juxtaposed against all of that and all of that activism, all of that awareness that was being raised across the board, I think to your point, what it fundamentally illustrates is a system that is run by people, well, white people in, in this situation, right? Like that don't actually fundamentally feel the need to make themselves aware or change their point of views in terms of the world that we live in. And I think that's just really unfortunate. It, it really... Underscores why you know there's so many so much anger and frustration around these movements because what they're illustrating here, based on this interview, is so much more than just a show, right? Like it's the fact that like nobody listens to people who don't have power, and that's just kind of what the the, the America will live in. And um, the fact that he like called people woke police, I think is like just the highlight, right, of how he thinks about the whole situation. It's like this is just another thing we have to kind of contend with for a while. It's not. A shift in mindset I need to embrace. It's not growing I need to do. It's not a reflection of who I am, how I think about the world that I need to sort of like confront, you know? Because he fundamentally doesn't feel the need to, and I think unfortunately, to your point, like a lot of people don't. So I I think what this illustrates, to your point, it's just so much more like we gotta keep fighting that fight, and you know, especially right now with Asian American racism against elderly people, I think what highlights Mm -hmm. is this is just reality that we live in. We live in America, and we all coexist, right? But this otherness is not something that would just happen overnight. And um, being able to sort of get through that would take years and years of unlearning and work and just a lot of preaching from people who are not in that position. So anyway, sorry, that was a long rant. But the idea is like, I just, I'm really disappointed. And the way that he kind of like described it, right? Like it's not just like where he stands, but also just how he describes it, which really illustrates this overall sense of like nonchalance around everything because it doesn't directly affect him.
0: Correct. And yeah, you bring up a good point, which is the fact that at the senior levels, right? It's, it's so entrenched. It's like you... You know, you have people across corporate America, not just ABC, but you know, you look at any big company in the US and most of the people in power are not people of color. And this... You know, I don't, I don't even like, Um, you know, even blacks, but like women, no women. Yeah, right. Absolutely. No minority representation. No East Asians. I think that's, you know, a point that you and I certainly contend with. It's like everyone we look, you know, up at in our org or, you know, in, in most companies we've worked at historically, they're white men. Mm. There are some white women, but it's, you know, very hard to find people of a specific race. And it's very hard to get these people out of power is I think with this example also, mm-hmm illustrates me because even with him saying all this stuff and by the way he was not good at his job Mm -hmm. in my opinion Mm -hmm. i really don't know very many people who liked he added nothing to the show Mm. he would basically just come in waltz in you know he had kind of a chill like job host job they let him like promote his book in one of the episodes (laughs) of the bachelor where he like you know his book from like five years ago they like featured because of course he's the executive producer he can do what the fuck he wants if he wants to promote his book okay like you Mm -hmm. know and he comes in he does these very half-hearted not well thought out interviews with the contestants post-show because that's really his main job is like to interview them you know on stage after they participate and he's never been very good at that even but because he's you know partly his longevity with the career but also because you know again I think there's a lot of similarly minded white men who are like good friends with him like supporting him in his position and even now that he's only taking a temporary quote-unquote leave so he'll likely still he may return hopefully not but you know at the very least he's probably still gonna be put on as a production advisor or you know get royalties out of this show and he's made like a ton of money on this show by the way as well. Which mm-hmm. yeah, there's just so many issues that this made me frustrated on beyond um, even just what he said. Like it's just illustrates a big societal problem that we're contending mm. with when we're like trying to battle from, you know, the ground up, basically. Yeah. Because how, how do you change that level? You have no it's very tough. That's the fundamental struggle. It easier to, you know, activate at grassroots level and increase awareness, but it's actually at the end of the day very hard to get people to really change over because those people are kind of in their positions they are the ones holding all the power mm-hmm. and they don't have to listen you know yeah. they can preach and they can like talk around it as he has done for years and pretend like they're aware And but meanwhile they're harboring you know different views and uh, yeah
1: yeah and i I just want to make this one point if you're listening to this and you think we sound like we're angry or, or you know um we're just renting or whatnot like think again right because think about what position we're coming from we're not coming from a position of power we're not being heard so we have to constantly like sort of think about how we balance what we're saying, what we're trying to get people to listen to, and how we're gonna convey it. And I I think that's just such a triple standard you put on someone who's kind of a victim, right? Just think about like any minority that has to sort of make their case for people to, to understand where they're coming from, you know, why I just feel like there's also just in this culture, there's a huge judgment on anyone who's not like them, who wants to make a point to, to have to present it in a certain way. So like, again, this triggers some like thinkings about how like BLM went down, like there's a lot of controversy around like property damage, etc, right at the time. And it's I think what people have to recognize is that these are real like issues that need to be they need to be addressed. However, there's just very little that anyone can do (laughs) to help address it because nobody's going to help address it from the top down. And I, I know people are trying to do the right thing, right? Like diversity and inclusion is one of the biggest hiring sort of categories right now, you know, based on what people are saying and seeing on LinkedIn, for instance, but are people doing it because it's the right thing to do? Because now everyone's woke, and they have to do it? Or are they doing it because they actually want change? Because if they're just doing it, because it's the right thing to do, what you'll see is what they've done with women 50 years ago, at this point, to bring them into the workforce. But even today, we don't have enough women representing, we still have a wage gap, you know, in terms of every dollar that we earn. So I just I think it's something to really be hyper aware of
0: Mm mm-hmm that's such a good point no that was very well said cool
1: on that angry point (laughs) no I think that was (laughs)
0: It's important. I mean, we don't talk often about social issues, Mm -hmm. but I felt like this was kind of a nice crossover because, you know, it it touches, it's a big entertainment update for this week. But then, um, you know, there's so many ramifications to it. And I I think like, you know, the podcasts I've been listening to, they don't really touch on this like seat of power topic, which is what we're really trying to get at. You know, there's obvious reasons why what he said was wrong and why people like that need to be taken down. But there's so many other issues um, when we think about how we do that and, you know, what it takes to really force a society to change um, because of the natural inertia you get for the status quo.
1: Yeah, 100% agreed. All right. Great.
0: Well, with that, we will wrap it up. Yeah. Thank you guys all for listening. If you, you know, stay tuned for the whole episode and uh, we will come back next week with some more updates. Uh, We may do actually, I was thinking some future like career topics or other discussions, you know, based on our experiences and, you know, just whatever's of interest to our listeners, you know, still haven't gotten any emails, but maybe (laughs) some, maybe (laughs) someone will email us someday with a suggestion. (laughs) So we're, uh, you know, here and waiting. (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) all right have a great weekend all right take care bye